We need peace in this country for sure, don't we? Um, we are celebrating Independence Day this coming week, if you didn't realize it, and I'm sure you did. And I am thankful for the freedom that we have as Americans in this country. We are more blessed, despite how you may feel about what's going on today, we are more blessed here in this country than a lot of people are around the world to be free, not only as an American, but free in Christ. Anyone can find that, but we are free to worship Him right now without fear, largely, though we've seen in recent years there are things that are starting to encroach on that freedom. And uh, it is sad. Uh, but God is still good, and He's still on His throne. Amen? Nothing is happening outside of God's foreknowledge because He is sovereign. He sees what's going on over this world, and He chooses when to interact in it. Church, we need to pray, though, that God moves soon, and He moves swiftly. As it should always be our prayer, if my people will humble themselves and pray, I will hear their prayers, confess their sins as well. That's the most important part. They pray and confess their sins. I will hear their prayer and I will heal their land. It's a promise that we still need to rest on today as God's people. But I want to thank God for the people who have helped to fight to keep our country free, to keep our freedom uh, intact. And if you are one of those people who has served in our armed forces uh, over the years, you call yourself a veteran, or maybe you're serving now, would you please stand and allow us to recognize you? Don't be shy, if you're able. Let's give these veterans a round of applause. We are very thankful for you and for your commitment to serve our country, whether you thought it be short or long. We are thankful for all of it because you've helped keep this great country great and free. As we begin our service this morning, uh, let us pray, uh, or not our service, but our time of study, that is. Let us pray and ask God's blessing to be over it, shall we? Father, thank you for bringing us here and giving us this opportunity to gather, to worship, and to praise your name. We're thankful for every blessing, but none more than Jesus. And so it's now that we've come in his name to study your word, to hear your gospel, Feel your presence, Lord, as we have, but Lord, in a unique way now as we open your word that still speaks today. Lord, may it bring comfort where we need to be comforted, this word, and may it also bring conviction where we need to be convicted. That way, Lord, we might live lives that are pleasing and honorable in your sight. Not pleasing to the world, Lord, for the way of the world is destruction, but your ways are life everlasting. Let us choose to follow your ways of life everlasting through your word as our guide. We thank you, Lord, for everything. But none more than Jesus. We thank you for the freedom of our country, but we cannot thank you any more than what freedom Christ brought to us when he died on the cross shed his blood and rose again so that we might not only be free of our sins, but we might be free to live with you in the midst of all eternity and everlasting life in that freedom that he brought us on Calvary. Thank you, Lord, for him. Use his words, use your words, Lord, still through time to bless us today. 
Through Jesus we do pray. Amen. I would like to begin our service this week as I have in the weeks prior by quoting together Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Will you do it with me? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. May this be our mission and may this also be one of our prayers. May we also commit this call to memory that we might be ever reminded to go to those who have not heard the gospel. Because when Jesus said we go in His name's sake, He has promised His presence to be with us until the end of the age. But yet, remember, this is a promise conditional upon our willingness to go and make disciples of all nations. So may we also quote again Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20 together. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. May we commit to make disciples this way. The way Jesus has instructed, both corporately as our times of outreach and fellowship together as a, as a church, but yet individually with one another as we go about our days, as we interact with people that we come in contact with, that maybe our brothers and sisters here may not see, may we individually commit to make disciples of all nations. Well, as I hope you've noticed over the past few weeks, Jesus' words and commands to go to these specific geographical places of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth represent more than just a singular dot on the map, but that we've seen that there is a deeper heavenly significance behind each of these earthly locations. We first saw how Jerusalem is representative of our ministering in our own hometown, in our starting place. And that we also saw, hopefully last week, Judea, and I want to stop here and I want to say something. I am not taking Benadryl before service anymore. I already felt bad, but I felt worse. And I was not here. I hear people say, take it before you go to bed so it'll make you tired. I understand why. My brain wasn't just tired, but my body. So, you know, just remember that preachers are people too and, and give grace. We bring the Word, but sometimes it's, it's got a few cracked pieces in our, in our vessel that's already broken that God is putting back together. So, the Word went forth. The Bible tells us that God's Word does not return void, but it doesn't mean that the postage is not damaged a little bit along the way. All right? So, I'm just admitting that first and foremost. But last week, I pray that we saw Judea through all the midst of that represents the day that we left the comfort of home and we left our non-committal faith in pursuit of God's greater will for our life to make disciples by our own effort, of course, with God's help. And though these places of Jerusalem and Judea present their own unique brand of challenges to us as we go to them, what we must remember is that these places also present a unique set of blessings when we go as Christ has called us to go for Him, for His sake, 
with his gospel to hurting people. So now in the progression of events, as I'm sure you probably haven't already figured out, that we've come to the third place in Jesus' list, and that is Samaria. And it's an interesting place for sure. For some time I thought and prayed over the deeper spiritual and heavenly meaning behind what Samaria was representative of. And after that time of thought and prayer and study, mostly prayer, I believe it to be this, that Samaria is representative of God's answer to our complacency. Samaria is God's answer to our complacency, the place where he, and time where he gets us out of our rut of service to him and places us in a new way, in a new fashion of going about his ministry to maybe even different people. That Samaria is God's answer to our complacency. And with that in mind, I'd like you to, uh, and ask that you open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, as the screen, as William follows along with us there for you on that, on the screens. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. And we'll be reading through verse 8. This is what it says. And Saul approved of their killing of him, that is, Stephen. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all, uh, excuse me, the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them into prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many were paralyzed or lame. They were healed. So there was great joy in that city. The New American Standard Version of the Scriptures uh, renders verse 1 as such in a very literal way, and I, I like it very much for our purposes. And Saul was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death. Up to this point in the book of Acts, threats against the New Testament church were filled with many hollow threats. But then there became short periods of imprisonment and flogging. But Stephen's death as the first Christian martyr changed everything that took place from that point forward. It took the persecution of the early church to a whole new and sad level. But I want to see who Stephen is a little bit deeper, so if you'll flip back with me to Acts chapter 6, again as they follow along on the screen with us, we'll read verses 1 through 7 to learn a little bit more about who Stephen is. This is what the scriptures say, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. 
So the twelve gathered all around the disciples and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith in the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procorius, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased. I'm having real hard trouble this morning with my words. I promise I am educated to a certain extent. Verse 7, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. These verses stand to prove that properly picked and prayed over leaders can have an incredible, growing, and enduring effect on the church both then and as the ages roll on. This truth is revealed in verse 7 that we read, where it says, So the word of God spread as a result of them establishing these people for ministry. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. How encouraging this must have been at the tide of this first progression statement in the book of Acts, telling us what has happened up to this point in the writings, the feeling among the early church is probably, probably that things could not be better, even despite a few hardships, and even us knowing what is ahead, at that feeling, it could probably be argued in their minds that things were going very well despite a few problems, and that things couldn't be better for the sake of Christ. But yet... As sad as it is, there are times when things begin to change. An early church father, Tertullian, stated that the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. In just a few 40, 50, 60 years of work after the disciples had gone, the early apostles, Tertullian made that remark. The blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. As hard as this statement may be to reckon with, even today, that is, why would God allow even His greatest servants to suffer? Time has proven this statement true. In, verses five, uh, in verse 5 of chapter 6, we read that Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit is how he is described. A man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And then again, in just a few verses later, in verse 8, it says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. Twice he is defined. And though some preachers and theologians seem to think that this naming of Stephen twice within just a few verses of each other indicates that this is a different person. Yet, I would like to submit to you, and most theologians tend to agree, that this is the same person defined twice for emphasis. That he is a man who is full of God's grace, 
He's full of the Spirit. And as he went out to witness, he is full of God's power. He is the same person. But regardless of this point that I've made, even if we were just basing what we know off the second person, we know that Stephen went in the Spirit and the power of God. And as we've seen from previous weeks, when we go with the Spirit and the power of God, it doesn't matter what happens from there on forth. God knows who we are. He knows that we have gone for Him. He sends us with power, and it's not us that people are rejecting. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that they are rejecting. We go in God's power and we leave whatever happens from that point forward to God. And in Stephen's case, it meant his death as, as a result of his taking the gospel forth into the world. In our society and in our minds, we tend to feel that weak things do not endure. In our minds, don't we tend to feel that weak things don't endure? In fact, a saying was coined by Charles Darwin, talking about physical strength, that it is the survival of the fittest. These are the ones that endure. In our earthly minds, we feel that the weak things do not last. But this notion of ours and this notion of his that he put to paper is not a biblical notion. Why don't you listen to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1? 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, as William again follows along with me, beginning in verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him that you are in Jesus Christ, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Church, it was through the weakness of Christ's physical body that the greatest victory of all time was won on Calvary's hill. And that victory was the victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave. Amen? Amen. That's freedom. Church, that's real freedom. That's, that's true independence. And though Jesus was wrongfully put to death by sinful men, even in the weakness of his body, he still mustered up great strength when he prayed for those people, and I believe consequently us today too. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. In great strength, even in the midst of his greatest physical weakness, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And it was in this same spirit that when Stephen was stoned by sinful men who rejected Christ again by rejecting his servant Stephen and also rejecting the gospel that he bore, Stephen still mustered up great strength in the midst of his weakness when he prayed, Lord, do not 
hold this sin against them. Talk about being full of the Spirit. I hope that if one day it might be called on of me and you, that we can pray the very same. Again, I want to take us back to verse 1 of chapter 8 that tells us that Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him, Stephen, to death. This Saul, who later became the greatest apostle, arguably, of all time that we know as Paul, I believe that he was reflective of Stephen's death when he penned these very words in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Even in what seemed to be weakness in Stephen as he submitted to his death for Christ, God's church continued to grow. In verse 1, the second half, it reads that on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. You know, in the midst of what sounds like a tragedy, which it was as Stephen was laid to rest, and it was a tragedy as Saul set out in a personal mission to destroy the church, and it was a tragedy when many people were displaced from their homes to save their very lives because of the gospel, the scattering that we read of in this verse has connotations in the original Greek language of an agricultural nature. Diaspora is that original Greek word translated scattering, which means to literally scatter seeds among a field ready to be planted, thus carrying the rich picture of God spreading His Word to bear fruit in an ever-widening circle from Jerusalem and on beyond to the ends of the earth. And church, that's us too. We were the ends of the earth. They didn't even know we existed, our country. They didn't even know that this was here. At that time, the seeds had been scattered far, far from the center of Jerusalem unto this day. Despite Stephen's death and increasing imprisonment of the early church, the church was scattered and the message continued to take root elsewhere. I believe that Joseph in the Old Testament knew this truth himself well when he said, you intended to harm me, but God. You intended to harm me with this, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And isn't that what the gospel does, church? It saves the lives of many, many who are perishing. Because of this persecution, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Those who were scattered preached the word wherever they went. In particular, verse 5 mentions that another one of the seven, along with Stephen in Acts chapter 6, was Philip, who went to Samaria and proclaimed the gospel 
there. He bore the name of the Messiah, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, Samaria was not a favorite place of the Jews. In fact, it was avoided by most all Jews because they were considered to be half-bred Jews, not only in ethnicity, as they were taken over by the Assyrian nation and their men populated with their women after they had killed their men. They were considered a half-breed in ethnicity, but they were also considered a half-breed in religion as they were synchronizing and bringing different religions into Judaism and made something that God never intended it to be. And thus, for these multiple reasons, they not only considered the message of God impure and unclean that they bore, but also the people themselves. And the Jewish people had nothing to do with them until God made the change. These people were exiled by the people of God who would not go to them because they felt like they were not worthy. But God believes that whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord, how's that finish? Shall be saved. But God, even through terrible hardship of persecution, calls the message to go forward. Philip went and preached to them. And because they heard the gospel, demons were cast out. There were people who were healed. And many people believed on the name of Jesus Christ. And so there was great joy in that city. Church, there needs to be great joy in our city. Amen? There needs to be great joy because the church has not gone to these people. Because they have been overlooked. Because they've been an outcast. Not just by this church, but by many. But we can't do anything about anybody else. We can only do something about us. We can preach it to everybody else, but we're the only ones who can really make a change. Church, there are many people who fall under the shadow of the steeple who don't even know what it's like to see the God who the people claim to bring in at the times of their gathering. These people found great joy in their city all because the Christians were scattered. And had it not been for the scattering, I wonder if these people would have heard. The Jews would have just stayed content like they did under the days of Judaism before Christ came and broke the barriers between God and men between the righteous and the unrighteous. Self-proclaimed, that is. I wonder if they'd ever been reached. I think that's why God had to do it for them, because they probably wouldn't have been. The scattering was God's answer to their complacency and their faith. Listen to these great words from the Life Application Commentary who puts it a lot better than I can. <laughs> Persecution forced the believers out of their homes in Jerusalem, but with them went the gospel. Sometimes we have to become uncomfortable before we'll ever move. We may not want to experience it, but discomfort may be the best thing for us because God may be working through the midst of our pain. When you are tempted to complain about the uncomfortable or painful circumstances that surround you, stop and ask if God might be preparing you for a special task. I thought these words were extremely convicting. And who knows? This discomfort and pain might be the answer to our complacency in Christ. How we've settled in and what we do and how we serve. So don't be surprised if you ever feel in life that God may be up 
uprooting you. Because he might want you to bloom somewhere else. He might want you to look beautiful for him in another place. Somewhere else. Or even cast his beauty to someone else. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do. How you bless us and keep us. How you hold us in your arms. Father, how you minister to us through your Holy Spirit. But as nice as it is to be close to you, all to our lonesome, you've promised that there are many other people that you want to hold in your arms too. And the way that you've decided to do that is by people who have accepted you already. By us going and telling people of your good news. Lord, we don't sometimes because we know that there may be pain and hardship. There, there may be rejection. There might be hurt involved. For us, Lord, it's emotional hurt mostly in this world. Sadly, other places around the world, not just in the days of old, but other places around the world, Christians are hurting physically because of the terrible things done to them because of their faith. But they choose to still believe because you're worth it. Lord, sometimes even in our trivial, trivial troubles, our first world problems, may we remember those who have hurt before who are hurting now, we continue, Lord, for your gospel. If you decide to uproot us, Lord, enable us by your Spirit to bloom where we're planted, where you place us, that your gospel may still continue to go forth. Encourage us, embolden us, and convict us in this way, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.